This morning, we ask that you would nourish us. We ask that you would remind us of good news. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So if you are just joining us uh, for the first time this Sunday, we have been on a, on a journey over the past few weeks through uh, this Old Testament book of Exodus. And what we've said along the way is that uh, these words were originally written by a people long ago to a people long ago. But we've also been saying that these words were also meant for us here and now. When the Apostle Paul looked back on the Old Testament writings, he said this, whatever was written, including Exodus, in those former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So somehow these words and even this strange story that we have about Moses and this battle was meant to give us hope, was meant to give us encouragement here and today. Because what we're seeing is that the story of Israel, as significant as it is, a smaller part of a much bigger story, the story of Scripture that we ourselves find in, we find ourselves in. And what this overarching story is, is this work of God throughout the ages to rescue a people for Himself and to heal what is so deeply broken. And what we've seen at this point is that God's people are in trouble. They're in a kind of trouble that they cannot get out of on their own. They are in slavery. They are oppressed. They are violently mistreated. But in the midst of this situation, what we see is that they are not alone. They have a God who says, I've seen the affliction of my people and I've heard their cry. And I know they're suffering, and I have come down to deliver them. And we've seen the God who loves His people fighting for this people that He loves and delivering them with power. And then what we've also seen is now that they have been delivered, you might think that this is the end of their story. This is the end of their journey. This is how the story ends well. But this is the beginning of their journey. Now they are in the wilderness. We see life in the wilderness. And what has been happening is that in this place, needs have been exposed. And not just external needs, food, water, hunger, thirst, shelter, but what's going on in their hearts has been revealed. This deep discontent, this grumbling, this lack of trust, this hardness of heart. But it's just that their hearts are being exposed. They are experiencing God's grace in fresh ways every along the way. And where we are this morning is that what we're seeing is that these difficulties only continue. That their journey through the wilderness is a place where they continue to see God meet them in their places of greatest. And my hope is that even as we look at this passage that we're going to see that some of the lessons that they learn in their time in the wilderness are directly applicable to us in our state of wilderness here and now. And so we're going to see three things this morning about life in the wilderness. That life in the wilderness means first living in a war zone. Life in the wilderness, second, means learning to fight together. And life in the wilderness, third, means looking to the one who fights for us. We'll start with this first one. Look at these one at a time. So first, living in a war zone. 
Back in May, there was this interview on NPR where the person was interviewing different people in Ukraine who were living in a war zone and asking questions on what it's like to live in the midst of this situation where we around the world are just watching highlights on TV. And here's some of the quotes. One person said, Every day, this village, our neighbors are under shelling. Every day, and nobody knows why. There's broken glass and rubble everywhere. And we, we run for our lives as sellers to the sellers as rockets explode in the schoolyard. Someone else said, it's terrifying. It's very dangerous to stay here. But the host said, uh, one thing that's troubling here is a phrase I hear the villagers say over and over again after two months. It's just a normal situation. That they've experienced living in this war zone long enough that it's becoming their normal life and their normal experience. Israel, as we've seen, is, is following God. where God is leading every step of the way. And as they are following His leading, they find themselves in the midst of their own war zone. Verse 8, when Amalek came and fought against Israel. Now, that doesn't tell us very much except for this one group of people came and fought against Israel. But if you fast forward towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy, this is years later, Moses is reflecting on this battle. I want you to hear how he describes what's happening. It says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, because he did not fear God. What you have here described is Israel wandering through the wilderness somewhat like a snake. And at the snake has, uh, what you have at the end, we learn from Moses, is those who are the most weary, the most weak, the most helpless, those who are lagging behind. And what we're told is that Amalek, this people, comes and targets the weak, the helpless, those who are lagging behind. Their strategy going against Israel is to chop the tail and chop the tail, and chop the tail, and chop the tail. That's their approach, bit by bit. And Israel is learning along this journey as they are experiencing this, that life in the wilderness means for them living in a war zone. Now, as we back up and consider our lives and our story, there are some threads that connect to us here and now. Because the New Testament affirms that we ourselves live in a kind of wilderness. And we ourselves live in our own kind of war zone. It's not bullets and rockets and tanks. It's not about land and money. But it's another kind of war. Listen to how Paul describes it in Ephesians. He says, our struggle or our battle, it's not against flesh and blood, but against Rulers, authorities, powers of the dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, there is an unseen battle going on, light and darkness, that Jesus Himself affirms and talks about and came to fight. Or even in the words of Peter, we have a very real enemy. He says, your enemy, 
the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And we are to resist him, standing firm in the faith, knowing that, he says, knowing that your brothers and sisters around the world are all facing this same struggle, this same war. Consider these words of, of Jesus. He says the thief, he's come to steal, to kill, to destroy. But he says, but I've come that you might have life. And I've come that you might have life abundantly. Whether we like it or not, we wake up every morning into this war zone and there is a battle being fought for you, for your life, for your heart, for the hearts of your children, for the hearts of your friends, for the hearts of your coworkers and neighbors. It is a battle that we can't see, that we can't touch, that we can't smell, but it, it rages on. As you think about what this looks like for you. Where do you see hints of this unseen battle? This high-stakes war all around you. Living in the wilderness means living in a war zone. But what we're finding and what Israel's finding is it's not a war that we are meant to fight alone. Which brings us to our second point. Life in the wilderness means learning to fight together. So when the, when the weak and the weary are in danger, God's people rally to fight for those they love. Verses 9 and 10, so Joshua, Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out and fight with Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek and with Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So God's people here coming together not to fight against each other, but to fight for one another, to fight with one another. But on top of the mountain here, we see a different kind of fighting going on. That staff that Moses is carrying, this has been a sign of God's presence that they have held on to. This has been a sign of God's power that has been with His people. God has attached a certain significance to this piece of wood, this simple, weak, frail piece of wood that Moses is holding up. There's something special about it, not because of the wood, but because about the God that it represents. The God that it points to. And as the people fight below, we read that something strange is happening above. Verse 11, when Moses held his hand up with the staff, we're told that Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed, or Israel begins losing. And so somehow, Moses' lifting up or lowering the staff is somehow tied into this people and how they are doing and what's happening below. And this is where we get to the problem, is Moses is lifting up his hands, they, they become weary. He becomes tired. He becomes worn out. He has a job to do, but it's a job that he finds himself unable to do on his own. And so he needs help. Back when I was in college, a few friends of mine were at a lake. We decided to swim across the lake to the other side. And, and there, were, there were three of us who, who swam. And as we were approaching the other side, uh, one of my friends began to get cramps. Uh, and those cramps started to hurt more and more to the point where he was having a lot of difficulty just keeping his head above water. And so we start shore, 
my other friend and I are, are not sure what to do. We, we're swimmers enough that we know, okay, he can't just hang on to us. And so, so what we do is we begin taking turns, just going underwater and just trying to push our friend up, push him up and push him forward towards the shore. One at a time, pushing up, pushing forward. And thankfully it wasn't that far away until we were to... But it was a scary time in that we realized that if we weren't able to work together in order to help one another, that this was going to be a disaster. When you think about where Moses is right now, Moses' hands, uh, which is symbolic for something much bigger going on, are weary. And, and he needs help. And in that sense, all of the people need help. Verse 12, so Joshua and her took a stone and put it under Moses, and Moses sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and the people. Uh, where strength was most needed, strength was given. Uh, when you look around you, help needed. Where... Where are people struggling to keep their heads above water? Where are you struggling to keep your head above water? Find that the strength of others is needed to help you. And where can your strengths, which we all have, be used to support and help the weakness of others? Where are your hands dropping that you need to be lifted up? And the same with others. The beautiful picture in the New Testament is that of God's people as this body working together, interconnected in an interdependent kind of way. And that's one reason why the New Testament is filled with what you might call these one another verses. Love one another. And as I read these, I want you just to think about just us lifting one another up. Love one another. Encourage one another. Honor one another. Be devoted to one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Show forbearance with one another. Forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Comfort one another. Pray for one another. And that list goes on. Uh, living in a war zone... Living in this wilderness means we need to learn to fight for one another. To seek to love and encourage and support one another. But, but as important as that focus is, there's something actually much bigger happening in this passage and in the whole of Scripture that we don't want to miss. And this brings us to our third and final point. That living in the wilderness means not only learning to fight together and for one another, but it means looking to the One who fights for us. So when Israel defends themselves against this attack, comes out victorious, the, the response is not, look at what we have done. Or look at what Moses has done. Or look at what Joshua has done. The response that is collective among the people is look at what the Lord has done for us. Look at how He has fought on our behalf. They build this altar and they, 
they call it this strange name. They call it the Lord is my banner. Which is confusing for us, but if we're in that culture, in that moment, it would have made a lot more sense. So a banner was this emblem or this sign often used in military campaigns that people would look to, that they would rally around. It was an object of focus. It was an object of hope. It was something that the people would look to, and it was a sign of life. It was a rallying point, an object of the people. It makes me think about uh, the movie The Patriot. How many have seen that? But it's the Revolutionary War, so they're in this middle of this epic battle against Great Britain, and there's uh, at the end, there, there's a, sign, there's a, a time where um, these colonial soldiers in this line are, are faltering. The line begins to break. They begin to lose. They begin to, to retreat. And there's these shouts of retreat. And then the, the flag bearer who's bearing this colonial flag, this, this sign of hope, begins to, to run in the opposite direction, away from battle. And people begin just scattering everywhere. Uh, and Mel Gibson, kind of the main character and the hero of this story, he sees this flag bear running away and he grabs the flag and he begins back in to battle. And this is where like the epic dramatic music <laughs> begins to build. And as people see him and they see this flag moving back towards this battle, they begin to follow him. And then you hear these, these shouts of like, hold the line and, and push forward. What it what you see is this flag becomes this rallying point. People look at it and, they, and it's, it's a sign of hope to them. It's something that they begin to follow. It's a sign of the life that they are fighting for. This flag has become a rallying point. What Moses and the people of Israel are saying after this experience and all that they've been through is, the Lord is that for us. The Lord is our banner. The Lord is our rallying point. The Lord is the one that we look to. The Lord is the focus of our hope. He is the object of our life. He is the one who fights for us here in the wilderness. Here is, I want to make some very important connections to get to where we are today. So you have this moment where they say the Lord is our banner after this epic battle. And then you have years later, the prophet Isaiah is looking forward to a future time and a future work that God is doing. He talks about a future banner that God is going to raise up that is going to give the people hope. That's going to be a rallying point, not just for Israel, but for all the nations that he's going to have a sign of life with him. And, and as I read this passage, when it talks about uh, Jesse, uh, that's King David's father. So Isaiah 11, a shoot is going to come forth from the stump of Jesse. Just a little bit of background. What it's saying is basically this family tree of King David, which was meant to lasts forever and be this fruitful, strong tree has been basically chopped down. It's just a stump. But God had made some significant promises to them. And there's going to be a branch, a shoot that's going to come forth that's going to be an even bigger tree, bear even greater fruit. So he says this shoot is going to come up 
stump of Jesse, and a branch from that roots is going to bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord is going to rest on him, this promised Davidic king. And in that day, this root of Jesse, this king in the line of David, will stand as what? He'll stand as a banner for the people. And the nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. In other words, there's going to be a time coming where this true promised king in the line of David is going to be raised up. And he is going to be our banner. He is going to be the one that we look to for hope, that we look to for life, that we rally around. And what we see in the New Testament is that Jesus is this true king in the line of David. Jesus is this banner. Think about what he says in our New Testament lesson. He says, when I am lifted up, I'm going to draw all people to myself. And he talks about the kind of death that he's going to die. On the cross, our Lord is going to be lifted up. And what we have there is a new kind of banner. What we have there is our salvation being worked out right before our eyes. We see dying for us in order to give us life. And what looks like the greatest defeat the world has ever known is actually the greatest victory. This is God's triumph over sin, over evil, over death. This is our banner. And the good news, this, this is the good news that we are called to listen to and hear and live in and live out of. But I want to say this as we, as we close. We live in a world full of banners. Banners everywhere. People, objects, places, ideas, things being lifted up that are saying, this is your hope. This will give you life. Rally around this. Follow me. This will save you. But, but our hope and our message is different. It is looking to the cross and saying, the Lord, that Lord is my banner. That one dying for me is my hope. He is my salvation. He is my life. He will save me. I want to close with these words from the letter to the Hebrews. And it's this encouragement, challenge, word of strong exhortation. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. As you experience life in the wilderness this week, that's, this is your call to not be surprised that, that you live in a war zone, a high-stakes war is going on, and you are called to fight for one another, to come alongside one another, to lift one another up, to live in this beautiful community. But more than that, you are called to look to the One day in and day out, to the One who fights for you, and say to that One, He is, He and He alone is my banner. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for such a clear and beautiful picture of who You are for us. And I pray that You would turn our hearts to fix our eyes on Your Son so freely given to us in His death and in His resurrection, the One who has been lifted up 
for us? Would He be our banner? Would He be our hope? Would He be the one that we rally around? Make it so. In Jesus' name, amen.